walk the path someone else has walked before, you can only be as good as that one, not beat him. Or in this case, not walking, but diving. Today's guest has gone deeper than any person has ever gone. And then at some point you realize, hmm, that's quite, quite deep down there. With a single breath, how deep can one go? 50 feet? 100 feet? 200 feet? Well, the ocean floor is quite deep, yeah? <laughs> right. <laughs> Remember those fantasies that you'd have as a child when you looked up at the big, white, puffy clouds and thought, what does it feel like to walk on those? Cloud-lined socks have made that fantasy a reality. Their highly advanced, top-secret merino wool blend simulates the environment that a human foot feels while stepping on the clouds. You know, moisture regulation, temperature control, odor resistance. I'm wearing them as I speak, and I feel like I'm podcasting on top of a cumulonimbus. For 20% off of your experience walking on the clouds, go to cloudlineapparel.com and use the code MEISTER at checkout. This deal and all others on our website, mtnmeister.com, on the deal section. Thanks. Hello there. Welcome to Mountain Meister. I'm your host, Ben Shank. What is the furthest that you have ever gone underwater with a single breath? For me, that answer is probably less than 20 feet, but for our guest today, Herbert Nitsch, the answer is 830 feet. Herbert Nitsch is the current free-diving world record holder and the deepest man on earth. He holds 33 records in different free-diving disciplines, which range from using weights and flotation to help you go down and up uh, to no assistance at all. Herbert Nitsch, welcome to Mountain Meister. Hello. Thank you. 830 feet how do you describe to someone how deep that is? Uh, well, it's a little less than the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> <laughs> or more, I don't know, actually. I looked it up. It's less, you're right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, well, of course, you don't start by this, doing this mm -hmm. extreme depth. You start uh, bit by bit shallow, and, and as you progress, you go deeper and deeper, and finally you find yourself doing something that others consider a bit crazy. Crazy. Yes, you're <laughs> right. A lot of our listeners uh, listen to the podcast while they're running. And if you were running an eight-minute mile right now while listening to this podcast, it would take you a minute and 15 seconds to cover that distance. If you're driving 60 miles an hour, it would take you a little over nine seconds to cover 830 feet. That's how far you're going down. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not good in running. <laughs> so freediving is pretty weird, to be honest. How did you find this? Well, I used to be a pilot myself, as an airline pilot. And uh, I was on a, a scuba trip. I was already scuba diving. And my, the airline lost all my luggage. And then I was snorkeling, uh, taking some pictures with the underwater camera. And um, it was another one, diver, who was saying, uh, how deep can you go? That seems endless. And this guy 
convince me to buy some fins and go for records or compete. So if the airline hadn't lost your luggage, we might, we might not be talking to you today. Nope, probably not. <laughs> Why do you have this infatuation with going down? A, a lot of our guests like to go up. Why do you like to go down? Um, well, uh, I was told back then that when you snorkel and you just go on the water, dive, your breath hold, that's free diving. So anything you do on breath hold on the water is called free diving. And obviously, you can do this in different disciplines. You can just do it for as long as possible, called static apnea. You basically float on the surface, motionless, just try to go as long as you can. Um, but I was always fascinated by going deep and just snorkeling to depth, taking the pictures. <laughs> and then, obviously, at some point, you realize, hmm, that's quite quite deep down there you're going and you fascinate yourself that uh, you can uh, progress in such a short time by so much let's see how far it goes mm -hmm. it's just that uh, your limit is by far exceeded so you're curious to see how where it is right right and i almost uh, look at mountaineers where there's a specific goal the top of the mountain you can't go any further than the top of the mountain you can keep going down and down and down and down. Where do you draw the limit? Well, the ocean floor is quite deep, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, of course. Uh, there's uh, basically no limit, let's say, mm -hmm. on free diving. So you're just curious how far it would go. Uh, uh, when when uh, Umberto Belisari was going to 80 meters, about 300 feet. Yep. I was thinking, hey, that's impossible. Anybody will break the record. That's inhumane. That's out of the world. And uh, a, a few months later, well, half a year later, uh, it was a piece of cake. Yeah. And nowadays, uh, better beginners do that. <laughs> so Why? Why can you advance so quickly? Uh, because uh, this is a sport uh, that is rather unknown how to train it in the most efficient way. Most other sports are kind of developed uh -huh. and people can progress only bit by bit, very short increments. Whereas in freediving, uh, it's still in the very beginning. So people uh, really learn how the whole mechanism of the body, the physique works and how to uh, how to manipulate it in the most efficient way. Because my my way always was uh, not to follow the others, because mainly because I didn't have time. I was envying these people living at the sea, uh, being able to dive every day, and I was sitting in corporate and thinking to myself, I want to do it too, and I want to, I will never be able to succeed if I train like them, mm. because I don't have the time. So I needed to find my own way. And yeah, I found a few ways and uh, much, much more efficient. And basically, most of the training is outside the water for diving. Do you think you would have found yourself as the world record holder had you not looked at things a different way than how they were currently being done? Probably not. 
Because, uh, yeah, if you walk the path someone else has walked before, you can only be as good as that one, not beat him. Mm. And uh, my training methods are so different than the norm. If I would train as much as all my competitors did, <laughs> I trained maybe like 10% of it maximum. Is one of your unique strategies drinking out of a Coke bottle, like the picture I'm looking at right now? <laughs> well... Uh, that's one technique for equalization. <laughs> uh, yeah, even though it's empty, yeah. <laughs> it's not Coke in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before we get to the Coke bottle, let's just learn how you do this. Let's start at the beginning. What what do you do before your dive? Uh, before I try to visualize uh, the dive and the setup and the training, the warm up, everything. So it's it's almost like a rehearsal of the dive. So when I actually do it. It's uh, almost like a film or spe- I'm a spectator and mm. just watching the whole thing. And uh, I'm a bit uh, like a third third person uh, watching the whole thing. Mm. Therefore, I'm less excited because excitement in many sports, adrenaline is very positive. In free diving, it's absolutely not. Mm. Because on the dive, you have to be dead calm uh, like waking up on a Sunday, you can switch off the alarm again and go back to sleep. That's and this this emotion, this state you have to be in to start a dive. And the same time, you have got a time window of only thirty seconds. You have judges, you have spectators, media, safety divers, and you have to be that calm, like like a walk in park. Except you're going 830 feet below yes. the surface of the water. And this is something mentally quite difficult to achieve. And that's uh, that's probably the main thing of a good freediver. Do you use this in other stressful scenarios? Uh, not really. No? Okay. It only applies to freediving. Well, I'm wondering if maybe, I don't know, when do people get nervous? When they go up and do a big talk in front of a bunch of people, would this help to ease the nerves there? <laughs> Well, yeah, I think especially if you have walked through it before, Mm. that when you actually do it, you're not doing it the first time, and uh, therefore you're more relaxed. That helps a lot. Okay, so you've removed yourself from the situation. You're prepared mentally. What do you do before you go down to physically prepare your body? Well, in the beginning, before the dive even, I do a technique, uh, so-called packing, buccal pumping also, where I take sip by sip and lose my epiglottis as a piston to overpressurize lungs. Because a normal inhalation, you can only take a maximum of, in my case, maybe 10 liters. What about my case? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I saw the average lung capacity is 6 liters. Okay. So when you do this packing, how much air do you get into your lungs? 15. 15. So you've yeah. more than doubled it. Even though doctors would say that it's impossible, but yeah, it's a fact because I measured it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you pack your air at your lungs to maximum to inflate to 150% of the maximum capacity. And this air is not used to have extra oxygen is mainly used for equalization. Because at pressure, you constantly need to put air, press air in the sinus, ears, and so you have to press air up. You need a volume to be able to press it up. 
And that's the main key. That's also the main limit of most free divers is the equalization. And only second is the actual breath hold. Mm-hmm. So on the on the packing, I try not to faint because of uh, shutting off the blood circulation to the brain because this packing is causing a tremendous pressure and therefore it can shut off the blood circulation to the brain. And therefore you have to gradually increase the blood pressure. Uh, Yeah, and then (laughs) (laughs) once you finish on that, (laughs) uh, yeah, you have to go down and depending on discipline, I'm talking about maybe with fins going down. Uh, Where in the beginning, I try to swim some kind of sloppy. Uh, Most of my competitors thought because they wouldn't know better, but actually I did it on purpose swimming sloppy in the beginning because I want to swim as relaxed as possible Mm. in the beginning because it's only... The first uh, uh, 20 meters, you have to swim. And then uh, gravity takes over <laughs> because the oxygen or the air in the lungs are so compressed that you're actually negative. So you only swim the first 20 meters right. uh, and then you just free fall all the way to the bottom. Free fall. And in the no limit discipline, the weight, there's a weight at the bottom of you just carrying you down. Yeah. Yeah, pulling you down. Pulling you down, yeah. <laughs> pulling's a better word. Does, yeah. No offense, but does this sound as crazy to you still as it sounds to me hearing this for the first time? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, in the beginning, the uh, first time I was on a sled, it was a bit of a scary feeling because you're very dependent on it and you have to trust it 100%. And uh, that's in the beginning difficult. But uh, since I did my sleds mostly myself uh, and coming from aviation, having these backup systems and also if a system fails, it doesn't block the other systems, having backups, 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 backups. So that allows you to trust the system. Mm -hmm. And only then you can concentrate on yourself. Okay, so how about the Coke bottle? How does that work? Well, it's an ordinary Coke bottle, and basically it had holes at the bottom to allow water going in and out. And at the, at the top, at the cap, there's a small tube, which I have in my mouth. And at the beginning of the dive, this Coke bottle is filled with water. As you continue, at around 40 feet, I stop and exhale all my air in the Coke bottle or bottles. And with a special technique called reverse packing, I suck out air, the air that normally doesn't want to go out, you can't push out. So all my air is in the Coke bottle. And as I descend further down, I take the air back, sip by sip, just to equalize, not in my lungs. Because the problem is, as you dive deeper, uh, their lungs get compressed and there still remains some air in the lungs, which you cannot get up to equalize. So you, uh, uh, you need air to equalize with. But if you don't get that, you can't access it, you basically suck. But if I, before that reaching that, I've already uh, put it in a Coke bottle, I can use that air. And this is a technique 
I only use is so simple and a uh, few people probably have tried it but didn't really succeed on it even though it sounds very logical to free hours, let's say. <laughs> so, so you're using the Coke bottle, the air in the Coke bottle to help equalize your sinus and your ears because you can't get that extra air that's in your lungs to do it. Why is that not outside assistance like you're not supposed to use any assistance with breathing or pressure why is that not assistance um well um it's uh only assistance in like a workaround to equalize your ears and sinuses it doesn't uh uh it doesn't have any effect on the on the pressure on your body Hmm. and your lungs and this is for a lot of people that limit of uh, of uh, bearing so much pressure in the lungs, hmm. I take my time fulfilling that because if it, if I'm missing uh, some air, I'm missing the equalizer depth. I only find out at the bottom <laughs> if I have not enough. So I definitely want to make sure I have done it properly. Okay. So I take my time about half a minute to blow all my air out in the bottle and then I descend as fast as the equal, my equalization would allow me. So in the last case, I had to attach some so-called speed brakes to the sled because the sled was actually going faster huh. than the experts were predicting is <laughs> possible. So you're in the sled for the no limit free dive because it's just how far you can go down without breathing or pressure assistance. How fast is this sled pulling you down? Three meters per second. That's quite fast. A bit faster than scuba diving. (laughs) (laughs) Three meters per second, 10 feet per second. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, pretty soon the light fades out until you have no light anymore. You go into pitch black loneliness and you just hear the sound of the sled on the rope because it's sliding on a rope. And uh, yeah, so I keep on pumping air out of the Coke bottle to equalize and constantly equalize like uh, intervals of one second to equalize constantly. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And uh, yeah, then the bottle is empty at some point. That doesn't mean the equalization is stopping because I still have some air left in my mouth which I use to equalize and continue. And at the time, then at some point, hopefully, the end comes of the rope. <laughs> so you had set the 830 feet as your goal, your mark. Yes, the goal was actually 800 feet, but we made a, hung the rope a bit deeper just to make sure that we make the 800 feet. Why 830 feet? Why not 840 feet, 850? Where do you draw the line? <laughs> Just to be sure, it's over 800 feet. <laughs> <laughs> that was the line. <laughs> but you could have gone deeper. Uh, I was aiming to do 800, 900, 1,000 different events. How far can somebody go? What's possible? Um, possible to actually quite a lot deeper. But uh, the deeper you go, the more dangerous it gets. Uh, so it's not a question of uh, where's the absolute limit. There is none, I think. It's just that it gets more and more dangerous. And also, in my case, uh, just the, the, 
safety systems were so tremendously expensive uh, that uh, the last record attempt uh, cost more than twice as much as the one before. Huh. Just the safety and so on, the whole thing uh, cost like 250,000 euros. And uh, most of it was for safety and backup systems. Right. Well, can't and, put a price on your life. Yeah. And uh, you could have spent and I should have spent a lot more. Huh. Um, yeah. So it is possible to go deeper. Um, but in my case, uh, something happened that never have happened before. Uh that uh, I had this decompression sickness, uh, falling asleep underwater and so on, yeah. You, you fell asleep underwater? Yeah. Well, actually, some doctors uh, find it hard to believe, but it wasn't the first my first time. That uh, it sounds strange, uh, yeah, but some, for example, one technique on spearfishing is that you go to the bottom uh, you lay down, you close your eyes and uh, uh, facing the bottom and just to relax because it attracts fish that are curious to see uh, what this creature is doing there without frightening them by looking at them. When you close your eyes, you want to con- preserve oxygen as much as possible and that you can achieve only by relaxing. So, you have to close your eyes, be relaxed, like in the Sunday morning, and uh, just uh, uh, wander away with your mind. And this wandering away with your mind and falling in dream state is quite similar. Hmm. And this happened that uh, while laying there at the bottom, I fell asleep. And then at some moment, I realized I was like, Shit, <laughs> I'm underwater looking at the gauge, how deep it was. Still 40 meters to go up to the surface. <laughs> yeah, so this was the first time. I didn't think of it too much. Uh, but on the last limit record, uh, it happened a bit for a different cause. Because after reaching the 830 feet, uh, the sled I went up. And at 100 meters, the sled slowed down. At around 80 meters, I fell asleep because of narcosis. Um, when you dive deep, the nitrogen becomes narcotic, which is similar to being drunk from alcohol. Hmm. So being drunk from alcohol, uh, you're also not uh, 100% there anymore. And... And this paired with being relaxed, trying trying to be relaxed, is uh, you're quite likely to fall asleep. So you're drunk and you're asleep, and you're you're how far under the water at this point? So I fell asleep at eighty meters, and the slip stopped automatically at hundred meet at ten meters. Sorry. And the safety divers found me there without any motion and thought I blacked out because of starvation of oxygen. And then uh, while they were unstrapping me from the sled, I woke up. And uh, despite that, they still brought me to the surface because they didn't know what was happening. And uh, at the surface, I was taking uh, 100 of oxygen just to go down as quickly as possible to offset the gas buildup that 
decompressor sickness, dive sickness, bends, also called, is not something that happens immediately. It takes uh, uh, a few minutes, a few hours, even up to a day after the dive. So in my case, it took uh, 15 minutes, but I could only reduce them and I still had uh, effects of DCS. That big dive was in 2012, and I read that you still have some effects from decompression sickness. What, what are they? Um, well, at the moment, it was similar to having uh, several brain strokes. And in the beginning, I was uh, like a mushroom, my brain fried. I couldn't walk, couldn't talk. Uh, I couldn't even find simple words. And... Uh, yeah, um, I was wheelchair bound for quite a while, for half a year. And now, actually, I'm still facing some coordination issues, especially writing with the right hand and also my speech that, uh, uh, yeah, having some problems uh, speaking, uh, more so actually in my mother tongue in German, <laughs> hmm. because I mostly speak English. So, you know these risks going into the sport. Is is it worth it? Um, yeah, well, uh, there's a famous saying I heard once. Everybody has to die, but not everybody lives. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, and, and I think there's so many dangers we're facing in life uh, that, yeah, you might as well can lock yourself in the house at home in the apartment, uh, because most uh, accidents happen actually in traffic. I think 1.2 million people die in traffic every year. 1.2 million. <laughs> but I think if you do something potentially dangerous and try to reduce the risks as much as possible, you're doing something less dangerous then you're actually doing a lot of dangers every, every day without thinking about it. And yeah, free diving is potentially dangerous. But if you do, even though I wouldn't consider free diving an extreme sport, some if, people do. If this isn't an extreme sport, what is? Um, jumping out of a plane. Jumping out of a <laughs> wingsuit? Wingsuit flying? Yeah, that I, I would consider, or um, I find some crazy flips with motorbikes for uh, on slopes, uh, crazy hmm. longest jump, highest jump, whatever. I find that crazy, unpredictable uh, risk uh, going down with a mountain bike down a slope as fast as you can. Mm -hmm. I find this much more of an a risk, maybe also in my eyes, maybe also more unpredictable risk mm -hmm. than diving. But maybe that's the the same thing as a motorcyclist who claims that he knows or he, yeah. or she knows what she's doing, looking at what you do. Yeah, mm -hmm. probably. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I guess, and we should also say that this no limit free diving is probably a very small percentage of the time that you spend in the water. You're probably doing a lot of other things there, but since it's all we talk about, it makes it seem <laughs> like you do it all the time. Yeah, of course. Uh, most of my diving is actually for fun. 
90 uh, percent of my diving is just to enjoy the marine life, mm-hmm. to interact uh, with uh, uh, the animals, uh, shipwrecks, uh, whatever. And throughout, I've been in very remote places too. And wherever I go, I see plastic bottles, overfishing, dynamite fishing. Uh, so uh, since the last record, I I heard about Sea Shepherd, and since a bit over a year, I'm a advisor brought Sea Shepherd. That's a non-profit organization uh, dedicated to enforce the laws and the habitats of the marine life. We'll throw that link, uh, Sea Shepherd Conservation Society, on Herbert's Meister profile page on our website, MTN. Meister.com. One last final question for you, Herbert. That is, who would you like to hear as the next Mountain Meister? Um, Pietro Pellisari. He was a record holder before me, and I always looked up to him, <laughs> admired him for his tasks. I couldn't look up to a person only to be good in something. I would admire a person if he's generally a good person. Because only being good at one task, you don't really know so much about a person. You only know about a person if you really get to know him. Uh, like I met Umberto Pellisare, and I think he's not only a good freedom, but a good character. Keep an ear out for Umberto Pellisari on a future episode of Mountain Meister. You can find out more about Herbert at herbertnietzsche.com or go to his Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com, for highlights of today's episode. Herbert Nietzsche, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Meister fans, hope you enjoyed that episode. Herbert Nietzsche, the deepest man on earth. Don't forget this episode of Mountain Meister is supported by Cloudline, whose socks make you feel like you're walking on the clouds. For 20% off of these made-in-the-USA beauties, go to cloudlineapparel.com and use the code MEISTER at checkout. As always, enjoy doing the rest of whatever else you do while you listen to this podcast Whether you're running, you're hiking, you're biking, or you're passing the time, no limit free diving. Until the next time you hear my voice, I am Ben Shank, and thanks for listening to Mountain Meister.